I apparently can't <laughs> read. Incoming transmission. Engage house party protocol. Mark 4, powering up. Mark 17, powering up. Mark 44, powering up. All suits are online. Welcome to house party protocol. Power up suits and welcome in to another episode of House Party Protocol. My name is Will, and with me today, coming to us all the way from the south part of the Great White North, is the one and only Curtis. What's happening, my guy? Oh, not much. It's going well today, Will. It's great to be on the show. Uh, yeah, coming all the way up from Canada. Made a long drive to speak with you today. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm glad you you made it here to my shed of recording. You know, it's been it's been a good time. <laughs> yeah, gotta gotta ditch the kids. Any excuse to drive uh, drive hundreds of hours across the uh, the border in the United States to come record. It's perfect. Perfect, right? Well, I really do appreciate you being on the show with me today. I'm really excited for today's episode. Like, I'm a, I'm an excitable person in most instances as it is, but like this is one of those things today that is just really fun and really exciting. And it, we can glean a lot about Marble crisis protocol and the community and, and all of that and, and the state of the game, if you will, from our conversation today. But before we get into that, I want to know more about you, Curtis, who are you and other than Southern Ontario, where do you come from? What brought you to MCP? That's a lot I know, but have at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I maybe took a different journey than some others. I had never played a miniatures game before this. So my brother-in-law and I used to have a game night, and he had Crisis Protocol, and we started playing about a year and a few months ago. And I just really like the game. I'm a big Marvel fan. Uh, I'm shamelessly in it for the IP. And uh, we just started playing. And uh, him and I are very competitive. So we kept buying everything and, you know, listening to podcasts like yours, trying to get better at the game and beat each other and uh, play the most broken stuff. And then from there, started getting into some local tournaments, uh, won a few locals lvo qualifier uh ended up going in season nine last season and i got to top eight with the uh the a4 squad so uh that's kind of my story i've just been getting more and more into this game and really enjoying it and uh really looking forward to you know getting into some of this data and interesting things that have happened because when i was learning the game it was invaluable for me to see what the top players were taking so that I could play the most broken stuff against my brother-in-law. It's really how it all started. <laughs> nice. I love it. Just like, Hey, what's busted. Okay. That cool. We're going to beat you up with it. <laughs> oh yeah. We, we didn't have, you know, we didn't, we didn't have our fun little game nights. We were bringing black cat and voodoo and, you know, Malekith when he came out, it was, it, it wasn't the typical, uh, leave those things at home. I think maybe that was unhealthy for the relationship, but that's okay. Uh, you know, it's a brother-in-law. You know, it's not like you're blood-related. It's cool, right? 
Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you mentioned like talking about stats and stuff like that. And one of the things that we've done on this podcast for a long time is go over stats from big events and shout out to Jacob and the Xavier protocols and everything that he's done over there, compiling stats, doing the maths that I am way too dumb to do, you know, so thank you to him. He put out a article on the LVO, which was kind of the big event so far this year of in the United States. And then he did a, another article on the York Weekender, which is kind of the big event in the UK right now. And there's plenty of other big events that come along and all that stuff. But I think something like LVO, I'm not sure York and all of what it takes to be a part of that. I think it's an open so I think anybody can just play, which is perfectly fine. And But I think like in terms of the U.S. scene and maybe the North America scene as a whole, when you think of LVO, you think of kind of the tip of the spear competitive in our region. And I think that that's an interesting way to look at things when we go through all of the different statistics and stuff. And you mentioned finding the most broken things, finding things that are a little bit above that curve, maybe things that are below the curve, maybe somewhere out there, some some little under the radar things are going to pop up from here. What do you think? Yeah, it's really exciting because both of these events are the first big one since all the new changes that have happened. Uh, you know, I remember back in uh, November, December, when it all came up, it felt a lot like learning a brand new game and having to test things out. And so it's been really cool to see uh, the combination of all these great new characters that have been released and then all these crises that have come out and really just seeing what some of the top players in North America and some of the top players in the UK were taking. I mean, there's definitely some differences between the two tournaments, but overall, I think a lot of trends are starting to emerge and we're really seeing what players are viewing as the, the top competitive teams and what players see as some dark horses and, and maybe some affiliations that hopefully will get more love in the future. But it, it's really great now that this stuff has been out for about three months. We've had two major tournaments to really know what the competitive scene thinks is good and, and what's going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And I just got to say right off uh, the top here, shout out to all of my fellow convocation players out there and making it pretty high up on some of these events. So yeah, way to go wizards. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's good to see it's, I, I was disappointed to not see as much a force going five and one in these tournaments, but that's okay. I, uh, the meta changes might not have been too friendly to them, but I digress. Uh, you know, it is what it is. And I know we've got a, a friend of ours, a friend of the podcast, Ron, who is hoping one day to take A-Force and Jen all the way. And you know what, Ron? You just keep trying, buddy. You just keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, the dream. It is the dream. It is the dream. So let's start by talking about LVO and... I'm going to kind of use Jacob's article as a basis to guide our conversation here. And the first thing that I want to talk about is the first thing he mentions in this article, and it is affiliations that are capable of playing one or two affiliation in their roster. 
or, or should I say it's probably a better way to put it, rosters that are capable of either one or two affiliations. And yep. at LVO, you had 80% of the rosters that were single affiliation roster. Now, that could mean that they had multiple leaders, but yet they were only capable of playing, say, Brotherhood or Avengers, X-Men, insert other multiple leader affiliation criminal syndicate as a good one. And then there were only 20% of rosters, so 13 players in this instance, that could do dual affiliation. And this is something that I've talked about a long time ago and not as much recently, but do you feel like that the idea of a dual affiliation roster is getting harder and harder to play and be successful with because of all the tactics cards and all the tech that there is within each affiliation? Yeah, it's a really good question. I've noticed one of the big things that's crunching tactics cards now is how many good character cards there are that exist. And some of the top characters who are taken, uh, you're seeing you know, the Rhinos and Pyros of the world, even, even things like Malekith, they're all coming with tactics cards that have a very big impact. You know, Mystique, brother, uh, Juggernaut. <laughs> and yeah. so any affiliation that's really reliant on having a lot of tactics cards to be effective, that's where I definitely feel that crunch and feel like when you're trying to pick five, depending on different matchups, sometimes you just can't take five tactics cards because you have too many in there that are character specific or for other affiliations. So that itself can be very difficult. Now, with that said, there's also some very good splash characters like Mystique and Juggernaut and Toad, where if you're bringing those characters anyway, and you just add in a card like Asteroid M, you can dual affiliate with Brotherhood. You can dual affiliate with Avengers, for example. And there's a lot of rosters like Malekith, Cabal, and Hydra that share so many characters that I think in certain situations, it's very easy to dual affiliate now. In some situations, it's almost impossible <laughs> because yeah. it just there isn't that kind of crossover and there's a tactic card burn. Uh, but most affiliations also now seem to have access to two leaders, which takes out the need for that anyway. So it, it is really interesting seeing the directions competitive players here are going and where there's opportunities to do it and where it makes sense to just go all in on your single leader, but bring maybe multiple game plans within your affiliation. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. And when you talk about dual affiliations and some being easier than others, Cabal Hydra, I mean, there, there is a lot of overlap there. So that makes it easier to play that dual affiliation. And I think it's one of those things where I don't think dual affiliating is dead by any means, I don't think that it's one of those things that like, oh man, you know, just you just got to hyper-focus that shield roster and and there you go. Now, I I think though that certain affiliations, like you said, it, it comes a tactics card crunch and they just play better. But when you are able to dual affiliate, I think Cabal and Hydra as examples. Sam Avengers, I think, has some easier splashes into other places. I know we saw that uh, from Wreath at LVO. I think he duo-affiliated Hydra and Sam, Yeah, uh, which was really interesting. And 
we at York we saw a bit more criminal syndicate and spider foes dual affiliating uh now that rhino is a shared character there as well so there's examples like that where new characters potentially even someone like agent venom or spider woman who's affiliated in so many places might open up more opportunities for it in the future but for now it seems some affiliations are very content just bringing multiple leaders or multiple game plans some of them like Guardians and Shield are very hard to dual affiliate because of the roster and cards they want to take. Yeah, that's and it. others it seem to really lend themselves to either dual affiliating or having multiple leaders. So it, it definitely is interesting to me seeing what people come up with and and also what game plans are complementary to each other and not just dual affiliating for the sake of it. Exactly. And, th- and that that I think is the the key part right there. Speaking of the affiliations, though, looking at what was popular in terms of affiliations, the top three, you had Brotherhood, X-Men, and Avengers at LVO. And I think that no one is surprised to see Avengers near the top of this list. There were 11 Avengers players, 13 X-Men, and 13 Brotherhood players. And that makes up 57% of the total rosters that were at this event. That's a lot for those three affiliations. And Brotherhood and X-Men, I think, are surprising given what I thought was a pretty popular place for Criminal Syndicate. And Avengers, obviously, is always pretty popular. And I thought, personally, that we would see more Hydra and more Cabal given some of the new toys that they got recently. And just in general, I think that they're pretty pretty nice affiliations. but. These top three, Brotherhood, X-Men, and Avengers, do you feel like there's any surprise there? Well, you know, these are affiliations that have very large uh, character rosters, and they've also had some new releases uh, with Brotherhood and X-Men specifically with uh, Apex and Logan. And so I think with with an event like LVO, there are people trying to bring things that they know well, they've played a lot of games with, and they're kind of tried and true. And so something like Brotherhood, X-Men, and Avengers, they've all been around a long time. And I think people are pretty comfortable with them, and they get to play with the new toys. And overall, they're just affiliations that have a lot of strong cards and strong play patterns. And so... I think people were comfortable with those versus maybe Hydra, Cabal with Malachis, recent changes. You know, people weren't as comfortable bringing some of those. And we may just see more of that in the future as as people get more games in. Yeah. So noticing that there are eight affiliations that are not even represented at all at LVO in a what is, again, considered the pinnacle of competitive events, at least so far this year uh, in the United States. Do you see that as odd that so many affiliations aren't represented? And are there any surprises here for you of unrepresented affiliations? Well, I don't know if I would say a surprise. One thing I find really interesting is that Inhumans weren't represented at all at LVO and then went and won the York Weekender. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they've always been a downtrodden one that now that they have a big win under their belt and a couple really strong players championing them, 
around uh, some different leagues and in the TTS league. I think Inhumans might get the biggest bump from this list. Then you've got uh, someone like Asgard, where at this event, Beta Ray Bill hadn't come out yet. So maybe some of those new characters, like Bill specifically, could give a bump to Asgard, could give a bump to Midnight Suns. Uh, I guess no pun intended, but he's very good there being able to bump and move to the middle and grab an extract safely and run away. So I think there's certainly options for maybe some of these underrepresented affiliations to get better. Uh, but with that said, affiliations like X-Force, Winter Guard, Sentinels, uh, Defenders even, they, they just seem to have some fundamental problems with them that are showing up in, in the win rate data as well. And I think that this isn't the kind of event where competitive players want to make a point. You know, a lot of people have flown a long way to be there. They want a qualifier and they want to play something they know is good, maybe not something they hope is good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm right there with you on that. And I just find it interesting when we look at, at this kind of data and we see what's not represented. And it's it's like, it doesn't mean that those squads are are bad or that they're not fun and stuff like that. It's just that the competitive perception of them is what it is. And I just, I find that to be very interesting. And uh, I'm glad to see things like A-Force at least be represented, you know, Black Order still being a problem. My three convocation players, you know, living their best life out there. <laughs> it It is really great. And I know, you know, between the the two events, there were there were 15 affiliations that had at least four wins, you know, and eight that went at least five and one. So I think that's, that is data that points to saying, you know, of the 23 affiliations in the game, you're still seeing two thirds of them having winning records at these top level competitive tournaments. And I think that's a really good place. I mean, everything can't be the best. And there's some stuff that maybe one or two releases away from being really strong. But I, I think that's the reality of this game right now is that a lot of teams are just one character, one tactics card away from being really elevated. And hopefully, you know, I know the design cycle takes some time, but hopefully some of these under-addressed teams can really get the benefit of new characters or just players who decide to play them and come up with new ways to play them well or maybe dual affiliate for some of their weaker matchups or crises. And just watching that innovation is going to be really exciting. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. So now moving on to characters at LVO. I remember distinctly when uh, Dr. Voodoo, Black Cat were the pinnacle of, oh my God, these characters are broken. Please fix them. We can't live in this world anymore until these characters get fixed. You know, if that was your opinion, cool. I've never, ever <laughs> had the opinion that they were absurdly busted i might be a little bit biased when it comes to voodoo but i you know it is what it is they they are above the curve for their threat value i think in general and the idea being to be right at the tippy top of that bell curve is what you want for every character but unfortunately that won't happen i don't feel like that those characters were out of control out of control but black cat and avengers is pretty nasty i can can confirm but i think with the crisis changes and everything like that and then with the the new hotness that is what it is, we've seen this shift a little bit. Now, 
looking at the top characters taken, Hulk was in 53% of rosters. That's awesome for a character that came out when the game released and was much maligned for a long time. What do you think it means to see a Hulk represented in that many rosters? Because like we've talked about, of the top three, only 11 rosters, 17% of rosters were Avengers players, which is where he's affiliated. Yeah, it, it's really it's really interesting and very cool. I mean, as someone who's played a, a ton of games with She-Hulk, I can safely say that Hulk is uh, feels a lot more like a very strong six-threat character, and <laughs> he really just doesn't have any weaknesses. I mean, he's such a control monster, and has very good mobility, and if you start going into him, he can really lay into the attrition too. So. I think Hulk clearly has a home in Avengers where he's affiliated. He also seems to show up in almost every Brotherhood roster and has a ton of good synergy there with both Magneto and with Mystique. And so between those two, I think that's a lot of where Hulk is being taken. But he's still such a unique control presence on the board. And so a lot of affiliations that have low threat core characters like uh, like some Guardians list, for example, they can pick and choose what big bad characters they're bringing. And a lot of them are leaning towards Hulk if they want to be more oriented around that tankiness and control he brings. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. And it's just cool to see that character represented that way. And to your point, very few weaknesses. Like, yeah, he can still get deleted if you Helios him. But uh, outside of that, he's pretty tough to take down. Yeah. I mean, I got into this game because of the idea that Hulk could throw a building at someone. So, you know, I think if any character deserves to be in the top spot, I'm really glad it's Hulk. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, and you, you said you got into this game because he could throw a building and man, was he just underwhelming initially. And it's it's really good <laughs> to see him be so good now. The yeah, next definitely. character that is nearly 50% represented, is Toad. And I've maintained that Toad is it's a really good character. He's really great at objectives. He's also the bane of my existence. Like, <laughs> seriously, you want to win against me? Just put Toad on the table, and, and you will have a victory, because I, for whatever reason, cannot deal with that little bugger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why do you think he's so popular right now? I know why. Well, Toad... I mean, he definitely has great synergy in in Brotherhood. He's affiliated in X-Men. He's often taken as a two threat because he can just get around the board and really interact with those pay to flips, even from distance. But Toad is also just, you know, being able to grab objectives from range two away and keep relative safety against a lot of stuff. There's still some stuff like Deception and maybe Malekith's Charge that that can still reach a toad, but the ability to grab those objectives safely and then slippery away, we're just seeing in this meta so many things that can absolutely crush the midline and having as many options as possible to grab those extracts safely and get away is invaluable. And the fact that toad brings that as a two threat character, I think is the biggest reason why he's so popular. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I think he's phenomenal. And 
the next couple characters we're going to talk about here are both, well, all Toad, Mystique, and Juggernaut are two, three, and four represented characters. And that makes a lot of sense, given that Brotherhood was represented in 20% of rosters. But each of these characters were taken, Toad, 30 rosters, Mystique, 25, Juggernaut, 24. So well more than the 13 Brotherhood players felt like splashing in a Mystique. Now, Mystique could be splashed in Cabal, which there were a couple of Cabal players, four Cabal players, but that still doesn't account for all of her splashing, splashability. I don't know what you would want to say with that, but I'd find it interesting that she's here. She's always been a good character, and I think that you mentioned Deception. We've talked about it a couple of times. Deception is such a strong card. Do you feel like that that is specifically the reason she's in so many rosters unaffiliated. Well, I think that's the reason Mystique moves from being a very solid affiliated character to, you know, arguably the best splash three thread in the game. She just brings a dynamic that if you want an ability to put pressure on the center, you can bring her in a tactics card and that's all you have to do. Um, she also, though, brings a really strong and... I don't think at this point you would say it's underrated, but I think Deception does get a lot of attention. I mean, her ability to shut down reactive powers, if you think about anything that reduces damage, bodyguards, taunts, exceptional healing, recal, (laughs) the list is about a mile long of defensive tech that gets taken, and Mystique just shuts that down, uh, including uh, Toad Slippery, as we previously mentioned. There's just so many things she does well, and even just her ability to destroy terrain and put some automatic damage in to potentially guarantee uh, dazes or knockouts, I think she's got a really well-rounded kit. Deception is one of the best tactics cards in the game, and uh, she also happens to be a long mover (laughs) with with some stealth that uh, can really keep her out of trouble. So Mystique brings the full package, and there were 24 opportunities to bring her in affiliation and she was brought another 23 times outside of that between the two tournaments. So yeah, like you said, it's not just Cabal and Brotherhood where she's showing up. It's uh, in another 20% or so of unaffiliated (laughs) rosters. She's also being brought as a splash. That's just crazy to me, but it's, it's awesome. I mean, because you mentioned a well-rounded kit. It's really really strong really nice kit and it's like those times when you don't hit that rapid fire though it feels real bad but you know she doesn't need it all the time (laughs) yeah you can't have it all especially in a three threat but i've brought her she's a a staple in my Thanos guardians list and uh you know the one that pat won season nine of lvo or uh the tts season with and the, the combination of deception and thanos on most objectives is almost impossible to deal with safely so she just i don't know she just brings so much control over the board she can kind of get anywhere and get around a lot of stuff it's just a great character (laughs) absolutely so the next thing i want to talk about here we mentioned juggernaut you know he's good juggernaut is good if you need a tanky boy with a great tactics card juggernaut fits those those roles right there so i'm glad to see juggernaut represented so much because He's an interesting character. You know, he doesn't have a lot of punch, per se, because you're really only getting one attack per turn with him. 
and most of the other characters, you want to try to get as much value out of the attacks as possible. But he plays the objective really well, and he can sit there and just eat up damage for a long time. But rounding out the top five here is my boy, Dr. Voodoo. And I, I love seeing him represented. He's affiliated in a lot of places, so it makes sense. But again, he's still being splashed relatively easily. You know, he's affiliated Avengers. He's affiliated Convocation. And that makes up 14 rosters, but he's played in 20 rosters. So still getting some splash ability. Do you feel like that seeing him down a little bit, even though it's not really quote-unquote down, but seeing him down a little bit is representative of people finding ways to deal with him or more of the quote-unquote meta shifting away from what he does? Well, I think it's a combination of both those things. I also see it as a combination that the addition of Pyro and Rhino have just brought in more characters that can play that role. And one thing I noticed, one big difference between LVO and the York data is Voodoo's I think Voodoo drops from being in the top five to being almost around the 15th spot in, uh, yeah, in the York Weekender data, Dr. Voodoo's getting played as many times as like Gamora and Magic and Green Goblin. (laughs) Yeah. He's going into a different area. But at that event, there were also five Avengers players instead of 11 Avengers players. So we're seeing a really direct link between Dr. Voodoo being taken primarily in his affiliations, and then he's still getting some splash play, but not nearly as much as you know other options like Rhino, for example. Uh, and then if you look at lists like Brotherhood that were really popular, they're still bringing, you know, they're usually bringing Pyro for that option. And I've seen a few bring Rhino as well. You know, yeah. there's anything with Spider-Foes or Syndicate. They have Rhino already. They're not going to be reaching for Voodoo as much. So I think now that the extract stealing love has been spread to more affiliations, <laughs> you're you're just seeing other models being taken. But as a whole, Pyro, Black Hat, Voodoo, uh, Rhino they're all still in the top 15 characters at both events and they all have those abilities. So clearly stealing extracts hasn't gotten any weaker necessarily as an ability, maybe a little bit, but it's still valued. There's just more that I think are splitting that role. Yeah. I think that's exactly it is that you've got more tools to do things. And I think that that is probably the single most pivotal thing to take from all of this is that while a character might seem too strong today or might be a, a little bit too too potent at what they do specifically on the tabletop today, it doesn't mean that something's not going to come out within however long. It, you know, it might be two months from now. It might be six months from now. It might be a year from now. I would Usually it seems like that their releases are kind of concise in a way of like, it seems like Malekith and Beta Ray Bill and Rhino and all these characters were kind of meant to come out close to each other. And then just maybe COVID messed it up or something. Because <laughs> when I look at a character like Beta Ray Bill, I don't think he's a direct answer to Malekith per se, but I feel like he's got a lot of tools that would specifically deal with a Malekith. And yeah, definitely. Definitely you see 
characters like that that are these size four tanky characters that can then throw him you you get more options than just juggernaut or hulk for example who have ways of controlling malekith and tanking some attacks if you can get that now in a four threat package teams just have a lot more options to bring some counters to malekith and other big bads in the meta without spending all of their threat on it too exactly exactly so i I just find that to be interesting when we're we're talking about this data and what is popular and that's another question here i'm not going to go through all these characters obviously but do you feel like that this data is representative of popularity just as much as being good on the tabletop or is there maybe kind of like oh this this like pyro as an example here he's represented in 18 rosters but 13 of those are brotherhood rosters so you can say he's not really everywhere but he did just come out at the point when lvo was had whereas if we switch over and we look at the weekender roster he's also represented in 18 rosters but he's 28 percent of rosters so there is a little bit of a difference there Wait, yeah, actually, no, it's 28% on both of them. I apparently can't <laughs> read, but I, th- I just find that interesting. Yeah, and what, what I find interesting, too, is that I think the idea that characters are everywhere is overblown a bit. So when we look at some of the splash data, where if you take the amount of times the characters were rostered and then just subtract the number of times the affiliation shows up to get a rough idea how much they're being taken out of it, Pyro between the two events was only taken out of affiliation 12 times, which in some ways it's okay, 12 is still a lot, but it only represents about one in eight rosters that he doesn't have an affiliation with he got taken in. So I I think that when we look at some of the, the popularity data, it's directly related to how often those affiliations are being taken because their core members are going to show up. And that's part of why in looking at some of this data, it's also interesting to see how many times they show up affiliated to really get a sense that once you've picked your affiliated team and core and you have four spots left, the characters you choose to fill those roles, I think are representative of what competitive players see as the best in the game or at least have the most valuable abilities that maybe their affiliation doesn't have access to. Yeah. Yeah, I man, that that is it right there. And when I think about like affiliations and and what is accessible to each affiliation, I think that that's really where things start to open up for me. And the final thing I want to talk about with characters and and stuff like that from each event is are there any surprises for you of characters that were underrepresented? Because looking at the LVO stats, it looks like that at least every character was in one roster. Whereas I, when we look at the Weekender, there's a bunch of bagels underneath a lot of these characters. Yeah, so I'm not sure. I think Jacob might have left off the characters who weren't taken at all. Ah. So there were still some, and you okay, know yeah. maybe we can talk about it later, but there's a pretty funny list we put together of 
characters who weren't taken but had the most opportunity to be taken in affiliation. You know, <laughs> kind of your power bottom 10 for the new crises. Power bottom. Everybody but, loves a power bottom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think I think some of the surprises for me, one of the characters that stood out the most was Iron Fist. I think between the two events, Iron Fist was only taken about three times. And considering his affiliation with Avengers, uh, it definitely just seemed like, you know, Luke Cage was the more favored heroes for hire, uh, but he wasn't being splashed anywhere at all. I mean, this was a character that always, in theory, being able to steal an activation from a Malekith or Hulk or Thanos was such a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think players are just seeing that you know, once they learn to play around him, he's not really being taken anymore. Um, some of the other characters that I think have traditionally been viewed as really good that weren't taken a lot were Scarlet Witch and Vision. And again, I think part of this is just seeing them get crowded out even in their own affiliations. You've got Juggernaut, who's a five threat in Brotherhood that plays a role for both Megs and Mystique. And then you've got Vision, who's competing with not only Dr. Voodoo and Black Panther in Avengers, but also all these great Splash 4s that have come in. And so I think there's a lot of really strong characters that you can bring in your rosters, and they might be an 8 out of 10 instead of a 9 out of 10. But, you know, at these peak competitive levels, people are bringing the best stuff at the role they need. And anything that is maybe a close second just isn't getting taken. And so those were three characters that I thought were, you know, traditionally viewed as quite strong, but just didn't really show up. Yeah, you mentioned Iron Fist specifically, and that's one that I personally really love Iron Fist. I think he's he's pretty great in a lot of ways, and the popularity of a character like Luke Cage, who is more tanky with his damage reduction, can reverse bodyguard in a way I don't know I don't know if you want to call it taunt whatever you want to call it but he can say cool you're hitting me instead of somebody else those things are a lot more valuable a lot of the time I think when you're playing in these more competitive things when you do have to say okay I'm going to have a hulk there I'm going to have a malekith I'm going to have some big hitter and having a character like a Luke Cage that can say I'm going to take that hit even though if he dazes that's cool whereas Iron Fist probably not going to be able to stand there and take hits except for that one time with heroes for hire. And so I think that stuff like that is an interesting insight with all of this stuff. But yeah, Iron Fist underrepresented makes me sad. Yeah. And you know, there's some other things too, I think at play with bodyguards and taunts and cards like hero for hire in general. I think for one, the fact that Malekith is less popular and you're seeing more Thanos and Hulk showing up too, Thanos and Hulk both have built-in ways to move bodyguards away before they start attacking, whereas Malekith couldn't really do that. You know, you always knew you were going to at least be able to take one of his attacks with yeah. with whoever you wanted to before they got tossed away. And then you look at how popular Mystique is and her ability to just ignore those things altogether as well. I think the idea of bodyguards being able to protect characters in general is decreasing based on what we're seeing. And the ability to be 
self-sufficient in tanky is maybe getting more popularity for characters like Rhino or Juggernaut, you know, cards like Exceptional Healing. Uh, Lizard was one of the most splash characters in all events. So I think people are valuing the tankiness of individual characters and not having to rely on others being in range in order to protect them. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. I think that this new crisis setup that we have currently also has mitigated that a little bit because things are weirdly clumpy but also spread out i think that's a fair way to put it like the <laughs> the gamma and the research station all of that stuff's been what it is it's that the points changing doesn't really change how you play those crises per se but i find it interesting when we get down into the crisis data from these events and you look at especially the secures the top three secures are Infinity Formula, Demons, and Gamma Wave. So Infinity Formula, pretty spread out. Demons and Gamma, pretty clumped up. And then the interesting thing I think about with when we're talking about crisis data is looking at all of this, all of these crises, except for Deadly Meteors and Mare Fisks, are pretty highly represented, really. Like, you, you get down five crisis deep, and there's still 20 rosters with that. Even... 18 rosters with Mutant Madman. And other than Gamma and Demons, all of this stuff is pretty spread out. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. I think I think what I find interesting about this is a lot of the crises that are um in the bottom five. So Portals, Sword, Cosmic Invasion, Mare Fisk, and Deadly Meteors. I find it interesting that they all have a negative effect on you. You know, the spider portals can move you away. The sword has the ability to move you away. Cosmic invasion can move you. You know, Mare Fist can stun and damage you. That's Deadly meteors worst. causes damage when you flip them and roll a skull. And when we look at the extracts, there are some similar things there where extracts that also do things out of your control or cause damage show up too. And so... One thing I'm really interested in is, as a player, I don't like taking things that can happen to me out of my control like that, and I don't want to take things that can damage me. But I think there's maybe some opportunity for rosters that are okay with some of that stuff to really thrive in bringing things that clearly other people don't want to play on. That is exactly where my head went with this, specifically as it relates to sword base. Sword base has always been an interesting crisis. Previously, it was, if you play in Guardians, you play Sword Base because they are excellent on it because they can usually flood the board with activations and beat the crap out of you and always push you. But now, with it being four objectives, the opportunity for parity is there. And that's what I find in my experience with Sword Base recently is that more often than not, it's 2v2 on the secures. And it comes down to what's going on with the extract. But I think Sword Base is a really fun and interesting crisis and one that if you're playing a squad that can afford the power on it, it's it's pretty good. It's one that I really like. And I find it interesting when I see it for like LVO being so underrepresented there. And I think that maybe part of that is also familiarity with the way that it functions now. But it's also, again, underrepresented at the Weekender as well. And and I'm just curious why a crisis like that could be 
so underrepresented and you make a good point about the negative effect aspect of it. And I think that anything that's going to move me closer to my opponent so they can beat me up makes me scared. But at the same time, I think stuff like that, like you said, can be kind of opportunities for people to explore ways to, to change that idea, if you will. Yeah, definitely. And the other part of some of this is I know there's been a sentiment in some of the competitive communities that that crises like Sword and Spider Portals, uh, a a team like X-Men is very strong on them and has really high win rates on those pay-to-flips. And I think in the meta, there is some fear of other teams saying, I don't want an auto loss into X-Men by bringing spider portals and ending up on that with their extracts. And so it, it almost reminds me of, you know, how scoundrels was in the criminal syndicate and just some of these other crises that teams are really, really well known for being good at. And so I think the reason some of these are also unpopular is teams just want to avoid that altogether and not have to play into those horrible matchups. And and I think something like Infinity Formula, which is the most popular, has always been seen as one of the most fair and even crises, you know, that uh, benefits a lot of teams, a lot of power-hungry teams. It, it only does good things for your team, right? It doesn't have any negative effects. And <laughs> yeah. so I think those are some reasons why that's so popular compared to some of the other ones. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think that Infinity Formula, it's extremely neutral, even though I don't want my opponent to have any power. I also don't want to spend my power on something like a Mutant Madman. So there you go. The other one that I think is interesting here when it comes to Secure Crisis is Demons. So it's the number two spot at both events for popularity for the amount of rosters that it's in. Do you think that's more about the threat value that it provides at a 19 threat or about its effects? I think it's more about the effects. I think there's certain teams that just really like the idea if you're bringing attrition to bring a scenario that's going to hurt people for trying to score points. So you look at a lot of Brotherhood players, a lot of Shield players, Guardians players, Cabal players, uh, Hydra. Those are teams that typically want to win by killing you. And... I think not only bringing a slow scenario that only scores three points, but ones where by scoring it, you're penalized in the attrition game. I, I really just think it's it's so good for certain teams. And when you get some of these teams going into matchups with really strong control factions like X-Men or uh, Web Warriors as well, you know that you're going to be an advantaged as an attrition team if you can win priority and get that secure. So it's it's a very polarizing one with kind of the haves and the have-nots on it that the haves are definitely taking it. Yeah, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head with the idea of attrition teams taking it and hoping that their opponent plays the objective. And I find it to be an interesting one where when I haven't really gone up against like another hardcore attrition team when I'm playing an attrition team on demons and trying to figure out who's going to be better here. But in my recent TTS match that I had where I was playing Guardians and my opponent was playing a Malekith Cabal, we had Demons, 
And I definitely sacrificed a couple of guardians to score those demons because I felt like I needed to. And being able to have those extra activations, having a character like Bill tie up Malekith made a lot of sense. So I think that what you can glean from that is even though your opponent might bring demons and they might want to fight and they don't really care about scoring it, it's one of those things where if you can score those points, it points are points at the end of the day. And it is three slow scoring. So, you know, just have a plan for it. Like, I think I did a shake action one time and it felt really weird, but I think it was worth it in the end. So it's just, I find this crisis to be really fun to play. I mean, I'm playing my, my convocation currently and there's three characters that are immune to it that I can bring. So, or two that I can bring in affiliation and then I'm, I really want to splash bill. So there's that, but, uh, I really like this crisis a lot, and I think it's a really versatile one, but if you're playing it, that slow-scoring, three-points-a-turn thing, is it's noticeable. It's really noticeable. Yeah, definitely. And there's some teams now, too, that I think when we talk about splash characters a bit, there's certain characters that are going to gain more popularity just to give some teams a plan for demons you know, and be able yeah. to actually compete on it if they end up on it and really don't want to. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the last thing I want to talk about as it relates to Crisis is uh, the Extract Crisis and how Hammers has been, and I think will be, the most popular Crisis because, one, it's just more fun to roll dice. Two, it helps on the attrition, which is, I think, extremely ramping up currently. Like I think we've always kind of had attrition as a viable thing, but I think we're in a world now, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, where attrition and having an answer for attrition or being able to turn on the attrition, I think is very, very important. And having hammers really helps with that. Yeah. And I think hammers, you know, I totally agree on the attrition thing. I think the new crises have done two things. They've bunched things together a good chunk on certain scenarios that makes it really good for attrition teams to be able to kill. Uh, even on the wide scenarios, there's attrition pieces like Malekith that are very mobile and don't mind getting in those one-on-one -on -one situations. And then you also have teams like Brotherhood where they can go and take on one side of the board and then Asteroid M over to the other, or Juggernaut or Mystique can just move all the way over there. So. I think attrition is very strong, and with the, the extract specifically, when players can only pick up one, the attrition teams have the ability to daze or KO non-extract holders and know that any of these one-offs that are sitting on the ground can't be picked up by anyone else. And you know, even a scenario like Senators, where there's six of them, can get really low scoring late in the game when four or five of them are sitting on the ground and no one's picking them up. Yeah. So I've really noticed, yes, attrition has a lot of value. The other part of it here, though, is the top four scenarios are all, are all extracts that have an even number. And I think that is just directly related to the idea when you're losing priority your opponent takes their secures and you get your extracts if you take something with only one uh, extract in the middle your opponent can go to the middle steal it and run away and then you're at a disadvantage the whole time whereas 
with hammers, with scrolls, paranoia, and research station, none of those give your opponent the opportunity to potentially steal more than you. And I think as the, whether you're a tr an attrition or a scenario team, being able to start round one with extract parity is so important to the game plan because as soon as you go down on extracts, I think that really, really forces you to be aggressive and, and often play into teams that want you to just move into them. So that's, I think, to me, why those scenarios are the top four and then Senators is number six. I mean, all of these scenarios really reward that even number uh, to get that parity early. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I, you really just blew my mind with some of that insight there of the even number extract thing. Like, it makes so much sense. And I'm over here like, oh, yeah, spider infected cubes. Yeah, let's do it. And, and like, I, I personally enjoy those crises, which so I'm not going to stop playing them. But when you think about having the parity of everything, I mean, it's that's a really, really insightful way to think about things. And I've talked a lot about paranoia recently as a crisis and what I think of it and stuff like that. And I do like paranoia. And for me, when I look at these crises and everything, anything with a negative effect to me is something that I can kind of... Uh, re retreat from a little bit, I guess, is the way to think about it. And when I look at hammers, there's no negative effect. But scrolls being so popular surprises me, and paranoia being so popular surprises me, because each of those can punish you for getting it and giving your opponent an opportunity to steal it from you. Like, scrolls is a perfect example. The fact that it's the second most popular one at both of these events is just totally mind-boggling to me because if you fail that role, moving over to your opponent's side of the board so that they can beat you up just sounds terrible. Yeah, it, you know, it certainly does. And I think what a lot of teams are finding is that if you have, you know, a medium-based medium mover with a, an eyes-on-the-prize play. So, for example, uh, I use it a lot in A-Force with She-Hulk. You could do it with Red Skull 2, you know, Master of Hydra. He's probably the best example that gets used a lot for this. Uh, Beta Ray Bill does it now, too. If you can move up within range 2 of the center line and grab it with eyes on the prize in one move action, then even that, that short push, it can be impactful, but you still have an opportunity to then move medium away. And I know even an affiliation like in Humans, one of their great plays on this is being able to send a power to a long mover or a medium-based medium move, uh, which they have a lot of an affiliation like Beast or Crystal, and they're able to do this eyes on the prize play as well, where they can take it safely, and even if they get pushed or damaged, they can move back to safety and not worry about those negative effects as much. So I think if we're thinking about the mindset of competitive players, and when we look at characters who are splashed, every affiliation needs an ability to go to the middle and get away from the middle, out of Malachus ferocity, uh -huh. out of Thanos, out of deception. And because of that, I think these, these even-numbered crises are becoming popular as extracts because teams do have the ability to grab those and run away, even though they are negative. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think it's having a plan. And with the popularity of scrolls based on these two big events, I think that that's what we can glean. Have a plan for scrolls, my friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got to have a plan for scrolls. And then there's ones like senators that, you know, there's the, the dreaded mystique senators team that uh, I think you can make the mystique senators team with the top seven splash characters. <laughs> you can basically, oh, yeah. you can basically run a brotherhood roster with all of those and it'd be pretty good. Uh, there's ones like that too, where that might be almost the new legacy virus where you really have to have an idea what you're going to do against a team that's very good at it. And if you don't have a plan, you may really want to consider taking your own extracts into that matchup because it can be very punishing if you don't have a way of dealing with it. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. And if you want to know what that dreaded mystique play is, check out the last House Party Protocol episode where uh, Merzane and I talk about that. And basically just mystique and Hulk and I think it's Juggernaut and they come and steal your crap and then you can't get it off of them. So, you know. Just have fun with all that nastiness. <laughs> it's it's yeah, terrible. It's not a, it's not at these tournaments you don't see a lot of that good clean MCP. You know, these are these are players that are trying to execute every powerful broken effect in the game and and really maximize the competitive advantage and not maximize the fun of their opponents. So, you know, at the local game night, maybe it doesn't matter so much, but but at these events these are really things you have to be thinking about. Absolutely. So we've mentioned a, a lot about splash characters and stuff like that. So I want to move now from the stats of the events uh, as as a whole and talk more about splashing characters because that's one of the things in Marvel Crisis Protocol that really makes it unique is the ability to say, okay, cool, I'm going to put any character I want in any squad, any roster, whatever, and and play what I love, or in this case, probably better way to put it is play what's awesome. <laughs> so I I really am interested to have this discussion because it's it's really easy for someone like me as a content creator to say such and such is popular, such and such is everywhere, blah, blah, blah. And I am guilty of that because, uh, I mean, whenever I see people talking on the house party protocol discord or in other various discords a lot of the conversation can kind of swirl around certain characters and whatnot and it can kind of lead you into thinking that something is more ubiquitous than maybe it is so i think that talking about splash characters and this article that you wrote about splash characters that isn't out yet yeah, it's not out yet, but we're gonna we're gonna publish it on Xavier Protocols with uh, some of that other roster data to kind of compile it together and and notice the trends in the context of how many characters are being taken outside of their affiliation and who who on that popularity list is really just good and who is maybe seeing more play because their affiliation or affiliations are super popular and. And what characters maybe are getting missed or or are just considered very solid because they show up in 100% of their affiliated teams, but they aren't splashed outside them. You know, it gives a good, if you were to base a, a tier list, call it, off of this type of data, 
I think that's how most people think about those, where you've got characters that are splashed, characters that are core in affiliation, characters that are niche in affiliation, and then characters that just aren't taken at all. And looking at it through this lens, the data's not perfect, but it's awfully close to showing, in a sense, what competitive players see as those differences in characters. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to start with the top 10 splashed characters here. And you might say they are everything, everywhere, all at once, as it were. And yeah. uh, right off the top here, we've got Winter Soldier. And I don't think that surprises anyone listening to this. Yeah, and Winter Soldier, I mean, maybe it's hard to call him a splash character because he's also in every affiliation if you want him to be. But... I think only Sheet of, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. is what he's native to. Uh, but Winter Soldier was splashed about 34 times outside of affiliation, which represented about a third of possible rosters that he could have been splashed in. And Winter Soldier is a very, very good model. He's got action economy, can make a ton of attacks every turn and retreat to safety, generates a ton of power. Like As a three threat, he's probably one of the best in the game. But... His ability to then become an affiliated three threat, we'll see We'll see in some of the splash data that affiliated threes are like the lifeblood of this game. And when Winter Soldier can do that everywhere, any affiliation that's looking to fill that role, any affiliation that needs him just to make some roster math work at certain threat values, he also happens to be arguably the best character in the game with a hammer, which is the most popular extract. I mean, it's just, there's so many reasons why he's the most splashed character. And uh, yeah, it, it, it shouldn't be surprising. We all know Winter Soldier is very good. Exactly, exactly. So we mentioned Hulk being very popular. It makes no surprise that he's a splash character. Toad, Mystique, also Juggernaut was pretty high on that popularity list for both events. So it makes no surprise that we see those characters here. They are in a ton of rosters. They're only affiliated in about half the rosters that they're in and then splashed all over the place. Mystique maybe being an interesting one where, I mean, how would you, like, because Mystique I think is a really interesting option here in terms of rostered, affiliated, and splashed because it's almost exactly 50%. Yeah, yeah, she showed up in 24 affiliated rosters and then almost in another 24, uh, 23 unaffiliated ones, so... Again, I think for teams that don't have the ability to really threaten the midline, she is a very simple way to do that in a three-threat package. Uh, there's a lot of teams that don't run Malekith, they don't run Thanos, and they don't have Mystique affiliated, and they need the ability to put some fear into opponents who don't want to go too crazy running up to those center secures and extracts and thinking they can just sit there and hold them. So. I think if you're looking to fill a role called threat projection <laughs> and you don't have the roster space to put a seven threat or an eight threat character in, Mystique is probably the best option and why she's splashed so much. Yeah, threat projection. That's the name of the game for sure. So I want to talk about the last two on the top 10 here. And that's Malekith, the big bad kitty dad, and Thanos, the mad titan. And we don't get into what, like, I, th I think that you do put in here in the article that it's Senior Thanos, so space reality, 
but I think there's still other ways you can play Thanos. But just in general, I know for like a hot second there, we were kind of past Thanos being everywhere for a while, and I was like really happy with that because he's a menace. And do you feel like that since he's the number 10 slot here, that it's still more of a niche thing that you'll see Thanos, but but understanding what he does is going to still be important for a competitive event? Yeah, and that's what's challenging about some of this state is interesting because Thanos is only rostered 12 times between the two events. So roughly 10% of rosters were running with Thanos. But Black Order was only taken twice. So Thanos is being primarily run out of affiliation. And I think that points to the idea that Thanos is very good. You know, anywhere he's being brought isn't in his affiliation, but he's become a centerpiece of where he's showing up, especially if he's bringing restricted cards. So the most popular place senior Thanos, you know, space reality showed up was with Guardians and the build that uh, Pat won season nine of the TTS League, and it's seen a lot of success. That list is very strong. I've been playing that list a ton, and uh, it's just, it's really good. It projects a lot of threat, and his death decree has the ability to take those little weenie range attacks in the Guardians and add a ton of dice. You know, they just want to throw dice, and his winging it token there just amplifies Thanos' offense. And then in addition... You're seeing Malekith as well also splash 10 times. You know, he's getting played more outside of Cabal than inside Cabal. Mm-hmm. And I think the question of do you need to prepare for them, very much so. Like they're, I guess you'd call them a gear check, as in your roster needs a way to deal with a really big, bad attrition piece. And if you don't have the tools to deal with Thanos and Malekith and you don't have the experience playing into them, it's going to be a really bad, bad experience. If you are very good at playing into them and have tools like what Pyro brings, for example, being able to root and slow them at a cheap cost, then things are probably going to go a bit better for you. But you know, the knowledge of how to play into them you may not run into both in a tournament, but at a six-game event, you're probably going to run into at least one of them. And if you want to win these events, you can't afford to lose to one of these characters not knowing how to play into them. Yeah, and I think that's it right there. And frankly, watching battle reports, watching any competitive TTS that has these characters on the board is a good way to do that. But just get him on the tabletop at your local. Even if you are trying to play casually, just seeing what they do on the tabletop. I know, again, I, I relate a lot of what I do these days to how I play Convocation and everything. And Thanos, I kind of can deal with. Malekith is still a problem for me. If he can get that ferocity on turn one, I just feel like I do not have an answer for that at all. And uh, it's it's just really tough a lot of times when I see Malekith on the other side of the board when I'm throwing my wizards out there, it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to place you range three away, but you're just going to charge right back and kill me some more. So yay. <laughs> yeah. And his, his energy attack getting around ironbound books and then being able to throw characters into each other with small physical defenses. It's, it might be the worst batch <laughs> into Malekith. I mean, I just, I played into it and it was, uh, I played into convocation and it was a bloodbath and I, I felt kind of bad for, you know how that game went my opponent was very gracious about it fortunately but it's it's tough and 
you know, if, if you're considering taking something like convocation to these big events and there's a chance you're going to run into it, you know, there really does need to be specific tech and a plan there because these characters are there and they do a lot. And the second part is you just have to learn how to not tilt when they kill multiple of your characters in an activation. Yeah. It, it helps to remember that they're seven and eight threat. So to be worthwhile, they have to do the work of two other models in a lot of scenarios. And so it's good to remember that sometimes if they only daze one of your characters, that's a win for you. And instead yep. of being upset about that, <laughs> you should feel good about it. Yep. And so, you know, you can't get thrown off when these characters do their thing. Uh, but if you're going into tournaments, you have to be ready to see them because they're they're still showing up quite a bit. Absolutely. So I want to talk about the the I don't the two threats toad everywhere. The interesting one to me is that but the interesting thing about these two threats, right? We've talked about the top two threats. You've got five of them listed here. Is that other than Toad, it's just kind of hit or miss as to who is splashed versus not. I like seeing Wong as like number two, but he's only splashed in eight rosters. Yeah. But I think a lot of the reason why he's there is specifically the power generation. So, you know, I think that's why he's there. But... Other than that, I mean, is there anything to be gained from looking at the top two threats being splashed other than Toad's awesome and you should be playing him? Yeah, I think you can look at it and say, look, Toad is awesome. You've got Wong, Bullseye, Okoye, Rocket, and uh, even Black Widow, who shows up a lot in affiliation. You've got Nebula, who shows up in Guardians all the time. Really only Honey Badger's the two that doesn't show up in all of the affiliated rosters. But... Look, if you're looking to do damage, Bullseye and Rocket's an option. If you need to defend somebody and you're in an affiliation that might help with power, bring a Koye. If you need somebody enabled turn one with one extra power to do something cool like Malekith Charging or you know some Web Warriors list that get their uh, web lines or their web swings off, bring Wong, right? If you want yeah. the healing. like The two threats are all great. The reason they're two threats is they really just do one thing well. So if instead of thinking of two threats, like which one is the best, think about it as which one does my team need? What What's the role I want filled? And, and then it. I think you can pretty much bring any of them and have success. Yep. The role, filling the role. That's it. Now for the big one, I think this is the big one and that is the top three threats. So, no surprise, Winter Soldier and Mystique, tip top of this list. The next one, though, is one that I think is really interesting, and that's Lizard. So yeah. what, what I think is interesting about the data that's presented here is he's rostered in 28 different rosters across both events. He's only affiliated in eight of those rosters. That is a big disparity. Yeah. And and Lizard, I think, is one of those characters that if you think about a medium base, medium mover, Lizard has the ability to move on to opponents back uh, map B and map F. That can be a cute play sometimes. There's ways that Lizard can do one move and interact with your closest scroll. That's important, right? Yeah. But 
what I think is interesting is you look at a character like Beast, and Beast is very similar to Lizard, this kind of very tanky, mobile piece that has some control on the card. Doesn't really do a lot of offensive output, but but doesn't have to. I think the reason we're seeing Beast only in X-Men and Lizard splashed in a lot of places because teams are already taking exceptional healing and they're bringing exceptional healing for characters like Logan or Apex. And bringing Lizard along gives you another character that's mobile, fast, can grab an extract, all those great things. But then you're using or you have another option on your squad to use exceptional healing. And so I think that's why Lizard does show up a lot in X-Men and Brotherhood, because they're already bringing that. And those are two of the most popular affiliations. So it's a good thing to keep in mind for any roster specifically that's bringing Exceptional. I think Lizard is a very good splash if you just need that tanky extract mobile grabber uh, to just run around the board, throw people off occasionally, and, and tank big hits from you know those big bads like Malekith, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I think Lizard's one that it's like I've tried to not use him, but really he provides a lot of value typically. And as we go through this three threat now, after Lizard and maybe Pyro is the next one behind Lizard here, taken 36 times in rosters, affiliated 24 of those times, so with a difference of 12, I don't think that's as stark of a difference as like what Lizard was. But I do see at some point that number changing a little bit. Like, I, obviously, Brotherhood is very popular, so you're going to see a lot of affiliated Pyros. But I think Pyro is a, a splash three that we're going to see the numbers kind of flip-flop a little bit on him, where he's going to be splashed a lot more as people get more comfortable with him, as they find more play patterns and stuff with him to go along. Because I've been nothing but impressed when I've had Pyro on the tabletop. Literally every time he's been on the tabletop, I'm like, this guy slaps. Yeah, Pyro is awesome. And I think I think you're right. You know, he is probably going to continue to see more and more popularity. One thing with Pyro is, I think Pyro really benefits when he can get an extra power on turn one to be able to double move and put the slow and root on something big on the other side. There's something powerful about you know those big models activating with priority. Typically, if you can slow and root them on turn one, then their turn two is affected. Whereas if a Malekith can activate, he's already juiced himself up on power and maybe put himself in a position in the middle of everybody and it's not as effective. So places where Pyro can get that, obviously are in Brotherhood with Magneto, but also... In affiliations like uh, like Steve Avengers, where he can get that power turn one, he could be a really popular splash, and I believe he is. But part of the problem is Steve Avengers are becoming a lot less popular. Yeah. And then other places he has a really good home, like in Humans, where he can get the power turn one. In Humans, really just weren't taken a lot, even though they won. But I know he's a core member of that team, right? So yeah. I think if Inhumans start gaining in popularity, he's awesome in Hydra, uh, really strong in places like Weapon X that are doing a lot of attacks and synergizes really well with a character like Domino where she can auto-incinerate and then he can spread it around to everybody. There's a lot of homes that Pyro is an incredible model. He's an X-Men a lot too. It's just 
maybe those affiliations where he's at his absolute best when you're looking for a splash character, he's just those affiliations just aren't being played enough to see an even higher representation of him. I think that's a really fair way to put it. And I mean, I've been wanting him in my convocation for uh, one helping with my own attrition with getting the incinerates out there, but also the way I like to think about how I do convocations might be wrong, but I feel like that my power generation on someone like strange Mordo can, can, gain his own power. Clea, if she doesn't kill herself, can gain plenty of power. So having a character that can put those roots and slows out there and winning the power game can kind of help me get my engine going a little bit. And also, again, making it easier for my attacks to do damage, especially as mystic attacks tend to be a lower defense on a lot of people. So he's just, he's been great. He's been great. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Pyro's awesome. <laughs> so these next ones: Ghost Spider, Black Hat, Groot, Baron Zemo, and Nick Fury. They're all mostly played affiliated. Black Hat's a little bit out of affiliation, like I think, and that's probably representative of her play in Avengers more than anything. But it's one of those things where I think you mentioned earlier how the affiliated three is such an important cog in a lot of rosters. And I think that these bottom five here really represent that. Yeah, it does. And I'll give you a few names that were interesting in the splash data too, where they didn't show up as splashes, but showed up in their affiliation almost a hundred percent of the time. And I'll rattle them off, you know, X 23, Iron Man, Luke Cage, Crystal, Domino, uh, Black Widow, Nebula, Gamora, Shuri, Doc Ock. (laughs) Those are, yeah, Some better than others, but those are all characters that are rock-solid cornerstones of their affiliation and show up all the time. They weren't splashed. Characters like Ghost Spider, Black Cat, Groot, Baron Zemo, and the Howling Commandos, they do show up in other rosters. But I think at this level, you can almost take any of those three threats. If you're looking for a defensive player... Uh, you know, with Heroes for Hire, bring Luke Cage. If you're looking for a damage turret, you could totally bring Domino or bring X-23. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of characters that are very strong. You can bring Iron Man and Helios if you need to mow something big down. In this case, you know, Ghost Sprider is brought for her ability to protect people who are up at the midline, but also has a ton of control. Groot and Rocket were splashing a few rosters where their damage output was good. And then Zemo being able to enable rerolls for team members or Nick Fury being able to uh, use his Royal Decree <laughs> copy power yeah. to move big characters without a lot of movement up to the middle of the board to get attacks off. Uh, they're just really solid. And again, it's like there's no wrong pick. It's more what does your team need that your affiliated threes aren't bringing that you think is important to bring to your team? And there's a big list to choose from in this game of three threats that can play really different but effective roles. Yeah, absolutely. I think you just nailed it right there. So before we move on to talking about four threats, I do have a little bit of an announcement to make, and that is we are going to announce the winner of our giveaway that we've been running. Finally, it is here. It is time. Uh, Curtis, do you mind if we do that right now? Go for it. Cool. So... I have inputted everybody's entries into the 
commentpicker.com Facebook comment picker thing. I'm going to hit the button and this is a really exciting thing uh, for me. We had 298 comments. So thank you everyone that commented. And then we had 283 bonus entries. So that was from secret code words that we did throughout the giveaway and also from our Mark V patrons on our Patreon, which were able to get two extra bonus entries for just being a patron of the podcast. So I want to say thank you to everyone that participated in this giveaway. I want to say thank you to the patrons. It's patreon.com slash housepartyprotocol. If you're interested for as little as a dollar a month or 12 bucks a year, you can come over and hang out on the chillest Discord this side of the interwebs. And uh, just have a good time with us over there. And again, the Mark Five patrons, thank you to all of you for your massive support. It is greatly appreciated. And to everyone that has participated here, I want to say thank you so much. So let's see who's going to win this thing. And that is Ian Schneider. And he won as one of the bonus entries that he sent me in his giveaway. So yeah, it's... Really great. Way to go, in Schneider. I'll be in touch with your models. You're getting an Agent Venom, a Spider-Woman, Beta Ray Bill, and Ulick. So congratulations to you. And Curtis, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm feeling a little saucy. I think I might want to pick another winner to get just one box. What do you think about this? I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to do that. We're going to get in Schneider his box is boxes <laughs> and then we're gonna pick another one we're just and going crazy today I we're like just going it. crazy and it's steven watson way to go steven watson you have won a random box i don't know i'll talk to you we'll figure out what it is whatever it is you don't have that's within reason and we'll figure it out so he also won from one of the bonus entries so way to go steven and uh yeah let's get back into this podcast now and finish up because I have to go to work soon. So let's cover these four threats, five threats, six threats, all of that fun stuff before we run out of time here. And the four threats. I wanna I wanna go ahead and, and talk about these guys. Rhino, the new hotness, right? Isn't that what you would say he's here for? Oh yeah. He's really he's really good too. I mean, being a new character and being just that effective, he shows up a lot. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think the the new hotness is awesome. His tactics card is amazing. I'm surprised that a character like Crimson Dynamo and maybe even Dr. Voodoo aren't represented as much, but I think it speaks to the idea of fours are harder to fit in than threes, so splashing a four tends to be a little more difficult, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, if... One of the things that stood out to me here is that none of these four threats have a big damage dealing splash, right? You've got Dynamo, who's very, very defensive and an EMAP specialist. Rhino, who's very spread out. Dr. Voodoo, right, can still steal extracts. But I was thinking about it a little more. And when I looked at some of the top affiliations that were represented, here's some of the four threat damage characters they have access to. Rogue, Gamora, Apex Predator, Logan, Killmonger, Agent Venom, Ancient One. You know, I'm probably yeah. missing a few, but 
I think most teams have a really good affiliated option at four threat and they need an affiliated character at four threat to bring in and make their affiliation math work at threat values. So we don't see as many four splashed and the ones that do like Rhino and Dynamo and Voodoo, they play a very specific role, which I think is important to either compensate for weaknesses or be a character you're br- going to bring all the time because they're core to your game plan. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of core to a game plan, no roster is complete without a five threat, in my humble opinion. It's probably wrong, and I actually don't know if I make a five threat at every roster. Either way, I love my five threats. I really do. We were recording an episode of the special report recently talking about how a five threat could replace a four threat in some instances in roster building and construction. And we've noted here that Juggernaut seems to be the choice for most people. And I don't know about you, but I think that that is just a, a function of one, he's got a great tax card he comes with that is really good, but he's, he's just a jack of all in a lot of ways. He's mobile, he's tanky, he can punch when he needs to punch. He's pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, when you're mobile, tanky, you have a ton of displacement, and he really fits well in a lot of rosters. He has a centerline grab under Steve Avengers. He's seen with a lot of rosters combined with Hulk with these cheap cores like, uh, you know, Sam Avengers or Guardians. Being able to act as like a lighter version of Hulk with that big tanky control piece I think him and Hulk find their way in a lot of rosters together and complement each other to bring either one of them or both at different threat values. And at, at this point, the name of the game is scoring points, and he's probably the best five threat in the game at doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And these other five threats you have here, Red Skull, Master of Hydra, Ebony Maw, and Ghost Rider. Uh, you mentioned this in the article, and it's very true. Ghost Rider is splashed four out of five times he's taken. And that's because he is functionally a Guardians of the Galaxy member. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and nobody takes that. Uh, only one person took Midnight Suns. Same thing with Ebony Maw, right? Ebony Maw's got some homes in Convocation and X-Men really doesn't show up in Black Order because Black Order didn't show up to these events. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about Red Skull Master of Hydra, though, because I've been playing a lot of Hydra, and this is just a very strong model. And I think does very opposite things of Juggernaut, right? Red Skull throws out a stupid amount of damage, is probably kind of the the new Corvus in terms of the five threat that can just kill anything in its sight. And then also comes with Grunts, which allow you to do things with Red Skull while still scoring a back point or a side point or taking the incinerate on a demon portal instead of one of your other characters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's just a lot that Red Skull can do and brings a very different kit than Juggernaut. So again, this is an area where I'm not saying that these are the only two good models in the game to take, but when you're looking at a splash, they certainly bring a variety of options. But, you know, other characters like Scarlet Witch and Angela, they showed up a lot as five threats, but really only in their affiliations. And I think that makes sense because, you know, some of these other characters just do their job a bit better than they do in a splash sense, but not enough better that you would take them over the affiliated option. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. And then 
Now let's move on to talking about six plus threats and obviously the star of the show. And I mean, we might as well just call this episode smash because we've talked about Hulk so much, but Hulk, he is in 50 rosters across both events. And I mean, that's what 128 players. Yep. And he's in 50 rosters. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, and Splash 34 times. I mean, only 16 Avengers. So Hulk is being, other than Winter Soldier, Hulk is being splashed the most. And there's just, there's just no one else that really brings what Hulk does. He's just, you know, he's just that good. I think new players can maybe play him as if he's an attrition piece. But really, Hulk is at his best when he's activating last throwing multiple people off of points and scoring, you know, picking up objectives and running across the board with them. He's just, he's so good at scoring points and he punishes you when you start doing attrition into him. You know, yeah. he starts taking that 12 damage, that kind of thing. He can really hit back. Uh, just an, an unreal model. And, and I guess no surprise that he's the most taken and most splashed. Exactly. And then obviously Malekith and Thanos round this list out. No love for Dormammu here, even though he can't be splashed. I still like talking about Dormammu because why not? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Some of the other high threat characters like like She Hulk and Hulkbuster, I think they just get pushed out by what Hulk brings. Yeah, and there aren't any other seven threats unless you're talking about one gem Malekith. Um, but Thanos and Malekith, I think the reason too they're splashed a lot less is you do really need a plan for them. Um, yeah. I think Malekith maybe can be splashed a bit, but now with him needing an extra power on turn one to do his ferocity, I think you have to be more intentional that Malekith or Thanos is your game plan, and you're not just bringing them for fun like maybe you can with Hulk. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Hulk, Hulk is a lot more forgiving, I think, than Thanos and Malekith are, and, and that's another reason I think that that popularity is there. Totally. So a couple of things you mentioned here before we round this podcast out is you've got a watch list here of characters that you think might be popular splashes. They weren't out for LVO. That's the Beta Ray Bill, Agent Venom, Spider-Woman, and Ulick. And one of the things that I think that we're going to see a lot more of is Beta Ray Bill out of affiliation because I think that he is a very strong piece in a lot of ways. You know, tanky, has some punch, really good into a lot of different affiliations i think yeah and if i'm not mistaken i think other than black dwarf and captain marvel he might be the only four threat with a size four character throw and any time that you have i mean gosh a size four character throw is probably the best superpower in the entire game and when you're one of the only four threats and probably the only playable four threat out out <laughs> of those three yeah um I think he will find himself a role in a lot of places for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing, the very last thing we're going to talk about today is this thing that you've done here that I think is just wonderful. The bottom 10 characters explain what this is. Yeah. So this, this isn't just the characters that weren't played. These are the characters that had the most opportunities to be affiliated and still were only played one or zero times. So at the top of the list is Colossus. You know, when X-Men and Brotherhood are the most popular affiliations taken and you're in both, but only get taken once, 
I think that definitely points to some some weaknesses in the character, that's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then the, the poor Wolverine and Sabretooth box that uh, fortunately brought us exceptional healing as some redeeming qualities. <laughs> I know Sabretooth has a lot of play, but they were uh, they had opportunities to be affiliated 35 and 30 times and were only taken one and zero times. And uh, rounding out the list, Black Widow Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Cable, War Machine, Crossbones and Sin, Cyclops, and Ronan the Accuser all had multiple chances to be taken in affiliation and just weren't. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the top 10 would be a very good Brotherhood roster. I, I think anybody who could make an X-Force roster out of these bottom 10 and win would be a hero in the community forever. <laughs> You'd probably <laughs> yeah. get a plaque and a statue made in your name, but uh, it would be some tough sledding for sure. It sure would be. It it really would be. And it's one of those things where I, I think in a vacuum, none of these characters are per se bad, right? It's just that when you look at the affiliation options that they all have, there's all better options for these characters that are already in affiliation or that you can splash in. And I think that that's where it is. It's like Cable is a character. I want to focus on him for a second. I love Cable as a character, but he just, just isn't quite there when you look at the other five threat characters that we have in the game, especially when you compare him to a character like a juggernaut who is obviously everywhere more or less, you know, I say everywhere, splashed in 18 rosters. That's functionally everywhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when you look at a character like Juggernaut or even Red Skull, who is a five-threat character that can, like you said, put out some insane amount of damage, Cable just falls flat. And I would love to see some kind of a come-up for some of these characters. And, you know, Sin and Crossbones, I remember when they came out, I was like, oh, man, this is the secret sauce for Cabal right here. And, yeah, no, it hasn't worked that way. <laughs> yeah, you know, unfortunately, characters like Sitting Crossbones or uh, War Machine and Black Widow, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, War Machine and Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., they're competing with the three threats in Avengers and three threats in S.H.I.E.L.D., who have probably right. the best three threats in the game. You know, not to mention Cabal with uh, Baron Zemo and Mystique and kind of honorary Winter Soldier. It's just really hard to find a home for some of these even though if you brought them, it's not like they've completely fallen off the map. But yeah, most of these, like you said, they have in common is there's just maybe better options that fit the game plan in their affiliations and certainly no reason to splash any of them. Yeah, exactly. And I will say this, though. They're all pretty fun characters in their own right. I've definitely had my games where Cable has been great, where Sin and Crossbones double activating has been nasty, Ronan has taken out a Malekith a time or two, and man, how far Ronan has fallen from a guy that was like, oh yeah, this is the Malekith tech right here. Yeah, you know, he just, unfortunately, he doesn't seem to see a lot of playing Guardians, especially with uh, Agent Venom now taking another four threat slot, and uh, Inhumans just wasn't really very popular. So yeah, a lot of these characters... You know, I think of all of them, the OG Sabretooth, I think, would have the most competitive success. I, I, I've played him personally, and he's very good in dealing with, you know, Hulks and Malakus when he can get his No Mercy attacks off. But, yeah, some of these characters, they're just, 
they're great for having fun. They're great for game nights or local tournaments. But in the tippy top competitive events, I think there's just better options that do the role you want to do uh, for you know playing against some of the best people in your respective continents and uh, and trying to win these big events. Exactly, exactly. And with that, Curtis, we got to bring this podcast to a close. I don't know about you. I could continue to talk more about certain things like we didn't even get into affiliation win rate and stuff like that, that I want to have a conversation on. So what I would like to do is extend you an invitation to come back another time and let's have that discussion. One of these days, what do you think? I would love that. The, I, I do data and analytics as a day job. And when you combine, you know, what you're good at with a hobby you love, I will spend a dangerous amount of time doing this instead of all the other things I'm supposed to. So I would love, love to do that. I love it. Yeah. I am math stupid. I, I, I do not math good. And so someone that can compile data and math at, at, and you know, that's one of those shortcomings. I'm filling my roster with, with people that are, are good at things that I'm not good at. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, interact with you more? Yeah, you can find me on most of the discords. Uh, just Curtis O is my handle. Happy to talk about uh, A Force, Guardians, Hydra, anything in this game. I love the data and the conversation. And then I'm also a, a very common member on Blackfire Productions Battle Reports. So you can check those out. Really, uh, really new player friendly as well. And you're just really able to see some different affiliations and characters in action. So. Uh, definitely check out those videos if you're if you're looking for some good MCP content. Definitely do that. Blackfire is awesome. Uh, I love watching those videos, and uh, we'll have to get Adam back on here sometime soon too because he's always a good time. And uh, yeah, I'll have a link in the description to that. Also, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, suits. If you want to check out the Patreon, you can do that. Patreon.com/slash/HousePartyProtocol. Like I said, little as a dollar a month can uh, get you access to our discord and to a really great community over there and just a good time. We're just a good time. We, we joke around, we have a good time. We, we have people playing some matches over there every once in a while and talking about MCP, Marvel snap, uh, even Shatterpoint, all, all the stuff over there. So it's a great time. And I encourage you guys, if you're interested and want to support the show and, uh, help HPP continue to grow, that is a great way to do it. Also, you can send us emails, housepartyprotocolpod at gmail.com. You can send me messages on Facebook. After Now that this giveaway is over, I was trying it, something a little different to just compile everything all at once. I didn't like it, so I'm going to not do that again and just go what I was doing, where as it goes, I do responding and all that stuff. So, you know, little experiment. Didn't like it, but that's why you try things new to see what does and doesn't work. But anyways, send me a message. I will be glad to chit-chat with you guys. Over on Discord, I'm at HPP underscore Will in most of the mcp discords so you can hit me up that way if you ever want to send me a dm feel free i will catch that notification and hit you back up when i see it and uh yeah if you have an opportunity on your podcast platform of choice make sure to leave us a review five stars would be much appreciated if nothing else just because our guests are awesome i mean that's that's worth five stars right there and uh yeah, also, uh, the final thing I want to mention is check out BattleKiwi.com. There is a link in the description for 10% off your first order. You can enter code PARTYKIWI 
and uh, get the best battle box in the game. I got to say, I love mine. Everybody I talk to loves theirs. So, yeah, check that out. And I think that's all I got. If I'm forgetting anything, make sure to send me a message and let me know. And also, let me know what you thought of this content, the little deep dive into the data. I personally thought this was really cool. So I'm excited to hear what you guys think. With that, party on, Curtis. Yep, party on, Will. And power down suits.